Welcome back to Sisterhood, week two. And we are discussing this weekend what it means to be clothed with strength. And the verse that we are using all semester long is Proverbs 31.25, which says, She is clothed with strength and dignity, and she laughs without fear of the future. Don't you want that to be said about you? This woman is so strong. She doesn't just have strength. She's actually wearing it. And she looks at her future. She has no fear. She just laughs. And we want to be that kind of woman. So we're looking at all semester long what it would take to have this kind of strength. Last week we talked, Becca talked to us about the need, the necessity to put on humility. And today we are looking at the necessary ingredient of prayer. Because if you want to wear strength, you have to be clothed with prayer. Billy Sunday said this, he said, if you are strangers to prayer, you are strangers to power. And if you don't have any power, how are you going to have any strength? So we're going to look into this topic of prayer today, and we're going to begin by defining what prayer is. John Piper says that prayer is intentionally conveying a message to God. That could not be any more simple. Becca just opened our evening together with prayer. And she prayed that God would, would be here with us. See, we didn't just sit here and have this vague wish that God would show up. We told him we wanted him here. Prayer is just the, the way that we told him. We intentionally relayed that message to him. Now, this is very simple. And yet we have somehow managed to complicate it. So let's bring back the simplicity of prayer And let's begin, in order to do that, we have to first talk about what prayer is not, because we have to rid ourselves of any wrong thinking about what prayer is. So the first thing that prayer is not, prayer is not a religious exercise. It doesn't have to look or sound a certain way in order for it to be good prayer. In fact, Jesus told us not to pray with these things in mind. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6. Jesus said, when you pray... You shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets so that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly." And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask him. So we can see then from Jesus' words here that prayer is is based on a relationship, one that we have with the Lord, that we cultivate in that secret place when it's just me and him. Okay, but religion has stepped in and shifted the focus of prayer from that relationship to traditions. And when this happens, we've given ourselves a basis by which we can now measure our performance. So we can look at our traditions and use them as a standard to to determine whether or not we're praying good or not praying good. Now, this is not good. Prayer has absolutely nothing to do with performance. Now I want you to think for a moment about your time at your sisterhood tables. 
If a woman came to your table tonight, she sat down and she began to relate a struggle that she is having in her life, we wouldn't have any problem responding to her. We would use our voice to intentionally relay the message to her that we care about her by giving her our words of sympathy or our words of encouragement. It's just natural. It just comes right out of the heart. It's born out of the relationship that we have with her. But then somebody says to us, why don't you lead in prayer for her? And suddenly we feel intimidated. Why? We don't have any problem looking at her in front of other people and saying to her, I, I, am, so I support you and I want you to know I'd like to help you. I love you. But then we, have, we do struggle with in front of people saying, God, we love our sister and we want you to help her. Why? What's the difference? Well, the difference is once we call it prayer, now all of a sudden we're starting to think about how we sound. And we use our traditions to, to determine whether or not our prayer is good or bad. We wonder if the people around us are thinking, well, she's either a good prayer or a bad prayer. <laughs> we're using our traditions. We forget when we do that. That prayer is really just comes right out of a relationship. It's the relationship with God that we have formed, cultivated in the secret place, and it just comes naturally out of us. It's just a conversation that we have with him. And we don't want the enemy to succeed in turning our attention away from that relationship and putting it on our performance and on our religious traditions. Don't fall for that. Let's bring the relationship back into prayer. Okay, the second thing that prayer is not, it is not a monologue. Don't do all the talking. <laughs> Andrew Murray said this. He sa See, I can tell you guys know exactly what this is like. Okay, he said, prayer is not a monologue, but a dialogue. God's voice in response to mine is its most essential part. All right, so now if you're someone who would say, but I don't hear the voice of God, so how can I have a dialogue? Let me first just beg of you, stop saying that. Jesus said you do hear him. You wouldn't be saved if you hadn't heard him. John 10, 27, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So the first step then to hearing God is to stop disagreeing with Jesus by saying you don't hear him when he said that you do. <laughs> and the second step to hearing God is just to be a listener. Listeners become hearers. So don't focus on the hearing, just focus on the listening. And when God sees you tuning your ear to him, he'll make sure you hear him. The Bible tells us God rewards those who seek him. So seek him by listening and he'll reward you with the hearing. Again, it's just very simple. Amen? Amen? Third thing prayer is not. It is not to inform God of anything. <laughs> now, intellectually, we all know that God knows everything and that he knows best. But sometimes we forget when we go to him and we pray. And we, we come to him and we begin to rehearse all of the facts and the details about whatever it is that we're going through to catch God up on our lives before we can ask him for whatever it is that we need his help with. All right, so for example, I might pray like this. 
God, my test results came back today. The doctor says I have this disease, and he prescribed this medication. So I Googled it, and I found out that, that, that it's going to be some recovery time to this, getting over this, and that there were side effects from the medication. And God, I have children, and I have a job, and I don't have time to be sick. I haven't told God anything that he doesn't already know. Jesus said, we just read it, that your father knows the things that you need before you ask him. All right, so then you might say, well, then why pray? If God already knows everything, why am I praying? It's because prayer is an outflow of a relationship. It's based on our relationship with God. And we want to talk about the things going on in our lives with him as though he's engaged in that relationship, as though he's paying attention See, again, think about if you were to go to your best friends, the people closest to you, and every time you see them, you catch them up on everything going on in your life, even though they're walking through it with you, they would eventually have to say to you, that's not necessary. (laughs) We're paying attention. Just tell us how can we help you. Let's talk about how you're feeling here. God is not misinformed. He knows stuff about you that you don't know. So don't go to him then, rehearsing the details to your problems. Go to him for the answers to those details. Think of him. Have the mindset that God is the answer to everything that you need. And then just pray like he is. Talk to him like he's paying attention. All right, now sometimes the way that we inform God isn't to just to, to keep rehearsing the details. Sometimes it's that we begin to give him instructions. And I know you all know exactly what I mean. We tell God how it is that he should solve our problems. But look at what Job 12, 13, it says, With him are wisdom and strength. He has counsel and understanding. See, we want God's counsel, not to give him ours. So don't give God your great plan on how to solve all your problems and then ask him to perform it. Ask him to carry out your plan. Wouldn't you rather have his plan for your life instead? What if he gives you what you're insisting upon instead of what he wants? Is that really what you want? Now, this is not to say, I don't want to be misunderstood here. This is not to say that you can't tell God how you would love to see this situation work out. I think it's actually very beneficial for us to ask for specific blessings as long as we understand that God ultimately knows better than we do. We need to have that mindset. And the reason why I believe that is beneficial for us is because of what it says in Ephesians 3.20, which says God is able to carry out his purpose and do super abundantly, far over and above all that we dare to ask or think, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, hopes, or dreams. What an amazing promise. But how will we know? that God did super abundantly far over and above all that we desired, thought, hoped, or dreamed if we never dared to ask or think it. So, so say, God, this is how I would love to see this happen. But do so understanding that God can and will ultimately outthink you and outdream you. And then pray with that mindset. Okay, moving on. We defined prayer as intentionally conveying a message to God. That's what it is. But what is its purpose? Well, the purpose of prayer is to engage with God. Again, this is very simple. 
Whatever it is that you're praying about, how does God see it? What is his perspective? What you want to do is get your heart and mind aligned with his heart and mind. Now, if when you come to God and you begin to pray, you are full of fear and worry and doubt, that's fine. You're right where you need to be. But don't leave the way you came. An exchange should happen in prayer. You come to him, you bring all your yuck, and you trade it for his peace. But in order for that exchange to happen, you have to be aligned with him so that you're in a position to receive it. Now, I have a, a very simple illustration here, as simple as the theme of this lesson, to show you what I mean. Okay, so when we come to God in prayer, we come and we ask for what it is we need, and he pours it out, and we receive it. Whatever, maybe I ask for peace, and he pours out peace, and I receive it. But if I am not aligned with him, if my heart and mind aren't aligned with his, then God still grants but I'm not in the place to receive from him. Okay, so how do we make sure our hearts and our minds are aligned to receive from God? Well, the Bible tells us to enter his presence with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. And the reason for that is that this aligns our hearts and minds. Thanksgiving puts me in the mindset, it reminds me that God is good and that God is faithful. Because I, I'm rehearsing what he's already done as I thank him. It reminds me. So I'm, I'm not focused on my need then. I'm focused on his supply. And praise is a celebration of the attributes of God. So while I'm celebrating how awesome he is, I am reminded that he is able and that he is powerful. See, these things put me in the position to receive whatever it is that God is granting. Now, if I don't take the time to do that, if I don't align my heart and my mind, I will likely end up doing two things as I pray. The first thing I will probably do is grumble. And I do this because I didn't take the time to thank God. So my mindset is not on the fact that God is good and that God is faithful. I didn't rehearse those things about him. So I'm consumed with my need rather than with his supply. And that's going to cause me to complain, to grumble. The second thing I might do is I might begin instructing God. And I do this because I didn't praise him. So my mind is not on the attributes of God, that he is good and that he is powerful. So instead, I come to him and I, I forget that he knows best and that he knows what he's doing and he doesn't need my help. Either way, I'm misaligned. So God grants, if I asked according to his will, he grants, but I'm over here somewhere. I am not in the position I need to be in. I'm focusing on my need. I'm focusing on my lack. Now, the Bible tells us that Jesus only did what he saw the Father do, and he only said what he heard the Father say. How did he know what the Father was doing or saying? He asked. He aligned, he aligned his heart with God's every single day. In fact, let's talk about Jesus' prayer life. Jesus got up early to pray. He, he knew that his day was going to be busy as he ministered to multitudes of people, and he wanted his heart and the Father's heart in complete sync. So he made sure he made time for that. It was a priority for him. And nowhere is it more evident that his desire was to be aligned with God than in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is the garden Jesus prayed in on the night he was arrested. So I want you to picture what this must have been like. Jesus is about to suffer 
more than anybody has ever suffered. He's going to go to the cross, and he's going to take all of the sins of all of humanity onto himself and bear them all. And he's going to take every sickness and every disease upon himself and bear all of that too. And he's going to be forsaken by the Father so that you and I would never have to be. And to top it all off, as all this is happening, he would be mocked by the very people he was suffering and dying to save. And in the midst of facing this horrible trial, Jesus' desire was to engage the Father. So let's read about his time of prayer, Matthew 26. Jesus came with them, his disciples, to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed, and he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. So this is a very, very intense time of prayer. And let's look at what Jesus prayed. Verse 39, he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And then verse 42, oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. So Jesus prayed two things here. If it's possible, please let this cup pass for me. And then if it's not possible, I will do your will. Now, Jesus was never in any danger of forsaking his mission. He was as resolute here as he had ever been to do the Father's will. In fact, if we look at John 12, 27, Jesus said there, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? For this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. So Jesus was resolute to do the Father's will, but he did have one request. Is it possible for this cup to pass from me? But even as he asked the question, he stated his resolve. He said, if there's no other way, Father, my heart's aligned with your heart. I am here to do your will. If drinking that cup was the only way to save you and I, Jesus was going to drink it. But he needed strength for this. Not just to endure the cross, but to endure this time in the garden. Jesus said he was close to death. The, the, the anguish of this prayer was, was so intense. So let's look at Luke twenty two forty three. It says, Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed even more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. So note the order here. The angel strengthened Jesus before he finished praying. If he hadn't, Jesus would have died in that garden. He never would have made it to the cross. So we can see here then, too, that after he was strengthened, he began to pray even more earnestly as a result of having that strength. Now, the disciples needed strength, too. But they were sleeping instead of praying. Jesus told them that they should pray so that they would not succumb to the temptation that they were about to face. Prayer was needed and prayer didn't happen, so their strength did fail them. But thankfully, even though they hadn't prayed for themselves, Jesus had already prayed for them. In Luke twenty-two thirty-two, Jesus said, I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, Strengthen your brethren. So Jesus said, after you return, after you leave me and then come back, 
give strength to your brothers. So we can see then that strength, enough to give away to other people, was the result of the prayer Jesus prayed for his disciples. And it was the result of the prayer he prayed for himself in the garden. So it would seem then that strength is heavily dependent upon prayer. Let's talk about why this would be. In Psalm 46.1, it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So this verse says, God is strength. So you receive strength then when you're aligned with the source of all strength. God is strength. And then once you have that strength, it gives you confidence. It gives you strength and confidence in your life and in your prayers. James 5.16 says, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Let's look at some of these words here. Effective prayers are active, efficient, operative prayers. Fervent prayers are eager, enthusiastic, passionate, zealous prayers. And these prayers avail much. They exercise force, they prevail, they are mighty, and they do much work. Let's look at some other translations of this verse. The Amplified Bible says, The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available that is dynamic in its working. The Passion Translation says, Tremendous power is released through the passionate, heartfelt prayer of a godly believer. See, I'm trying to up your opinion, your estimation of the power in prayer. If you need some tremendous power to be made available to you, then James says you need to be praying passionate, earnest, heartfelt, continued prayers. Pray until you have breakthrough. Pray relentlessly. You are a daughter of Almighty God. Pray like you are. Do you know if you have gotten God's heart on the matter that you're praying for, if you are aligned with him, your prayers are actually co-laboring with him to see his will done on this earth. That is an honor. Your prayers are powerful. Don't let up. Now, some prayers are answered quickly, and others are not. I love what Ian Bounds said. He said, I think Christians fail so often to get answers to their prayers because they do not wait long enough on God. They just drop down, say a few words, and then they jump up and forget it and expect God to answer them. Such praying always reminds me of the small boy ringing his neighbor's doorbell and then running away as fast as he can go. Do not be like that small boy. If your breakthrough hasn't come yet, keep Ringing the doorbell. Keep at it. Pray with the attitude. God's will must be done in my life. And I will persevere until it is. Contend for breakthrough. Bill Johnson said, when there isn't immediate breakthrough in an area, it is because there are circumstances that are wrapped around that problem that we don't yet know how to dismantle. The thing about fervent prayer is that you never have to completely understand why. You just don't stop. You don't stop. See, we have to persevere all the way through from the point of the need until the point we see the breakthrough. Now, if we're going to do that, we need faith. Faith will be required. Do you know God is faithful? And when we pray, we need to treat him like he's faithful. Which means when we pray, 
we need to believe him. And that's exactly what Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty four. He said, therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask, when you pray, believe that you receive them and that you will have them. All right, now if we're going to believe while we pray, then we need to know that what we're praying for is something that God would be willing to grant us. Otherwise, how will we put faith in that? Okay, so the best way to know that is to pray the word of God. Thomas Manton said one way to get comfort is to plead the promises of God in prayer. Show him his handwriting. God is tender of his word. And I love that, show God his handwriting. Get out the word of God. Find the verses that you have chosen to stand upon for whatever it is that you need and show them to God. Hold them up to God. Read them to him. Say, God, I'm believing you for this. You wrote this. I didn't write this. This is your promise, and I believe you that you are going to keep that promise. See, this is relaying the message to God intentionally that you trust him. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. We're going to spend a little bit of time here as we wrap this up. It says, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Amazing passage. Amazing. So let's look at it. John said, this is the confidence. Now, this word confidence speaks of absolute certainty. It is a, a, a bold assurance that could really only be put in God. Like, nobody could have this kind of confidence but God, who is able to do everything that he promises. Now, he said, if we ask anything according to his will, we talked about already how you know something is his will if you know that it's in his word. So what we want to do is ask for something God has already promised. And when John said that when we do this, he hears us. So you can be absolutely certain. If you've asked for something God promised in his word, he heard you. Okay, but it doesn't stop there. Let's read on. John said, if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we'll know that we have it. All right, so circle the word if in that phrase. And please note that this does not say that we have what we ask for if God heard us. It says we have to know that he heard us. Why do we have to know he heard us? It's because faith is, it, faith is our part in receiving from the Lord. Do you see that if I ask God for strength, that's asking according to his word. He heard me. He heard me ask for that. So then God pours out his answer. But see, if I don't believe he heard me, I'm not in the position to receive that strength. We need to believe God heard us. So then, if you put all of this together, when we ask for God's promises to be a reality in our lives and we know that he heard us ask, then we can be absolutely certain that we have what we've asked of him. So let's put this into some practical scenarios here. Maybe you need provision. Maybe all of your needs aren't being met. Well, if we look to the word of God, we can see in Philippians 4.19 that it says God will supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So would you say then that provision, the meeting of your needs, is the will of God for your life? Yes, according to the, uh, this verse it is. So then let's put it back in the, in the verse in 1 John. This is the confidence that I have in him. 
If I ask for provision, he hears me. And if I know that he hears me, I know that I have the provision that I have asked of him. Maybe you need healing. 1 Peter 2.24 says, by Jesus' stripes, you were healed. Is healing the the will of God for you? Yes. Yes. So then put it in the verse. This is the confidence that I have in him. That if I ask for healing, he hears me. And if he hears me, then I know, and I know he hears me, then I know that I have the healing that I have asked of him. James 1.5 tells us that if anyone lacks wisdom, he can ask of God. God will give it liberally and without reproach. So then I can know that God heard me when I asked for wisdom, and I can expect to have the wisdom that I've asked of him. Do you know many of you are praying for unsaved loved ones? Maybe you don't know how to pray. Well, try Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 3. Pray that they would be able to comprehend the dimensions of God's love and know the love of Christ and be filled with the fullness of God. See, pray God's word for them. Do you believe that God hears you when you pray for your unsaved loved ones? Do you? If you pray God's word, you're praying his will. And if you pray God's will, he hears you. And if you believe that, you will have what you've petitioned him for. Prayer is powerful. This world needs your prayers. Your family needs your prayers. Your friends your leaders, your workplace, this church, this country needs your prayers. You need your prayers. Your passionate, powerful prayers matter. And you need to be praying them. They avail much. You actually get the honor, the privilege of co-laboring with God to see his will come to pass on this earth. What a privilege. Does anyone want to pray? (laughs) All right, let's do it now. Father, thank you. We want to align our hearts to, to be able to receive from you. So first of all, Lord, we recognize that you are good, that you have been faithful to us. We thank you for every blessing that you have given to us, for every promise in your word. And we praise and celebrate you, Lord, because you have the power to fulfill those promises. You are awesome and mighty. You are the power behind our prayers, and we recognize that. And now, God, we just come to you and ask. I I ask according to your will for these women, Lord, that you would create in them such a hunger for you, such a, a desire to spend time with you. And I pray, Father, that we would come back to the simplicity of prayer, and see it as a relationship, and meet with you often in that secret place. We thank you, God, for your goodness to us. I just pray a blessing on each woman in this room. In Jesus' precious name, amen.